That's funny. Hey, well, good morning. Everybody good? Y'all ready? 2020, here we go. Come on. Hey, you know, one of the things I love about this time of year is, uh, man, as we kind of have a little downtime is I love going through and kind of throwing a lot of stuff away. Anybody throw some stuff away over the break? Come on. Yeah, yeah, get rid of some stuff. You know, you pull out your Christmas decorations and you realize all this stuff you've kind of shoved back in there just to get out of the way and you can throw it away. You know, one year I found one of my kids back there. Oh yeah, I have four now, you know, and so I didn't throw them away, I kept them. But man, there's this decluttering that happens. So we put our Christmas stuff up and I just start like one thing at a time. We put it out in the garage just to get ready, either take to Goodwill or throw away or do whatever I need to do with it, you know, so that happens. And then, you know, we have this deal like when you get a gift, if it replaces something you have, let's say you get a pair of shoes, it's replacing a pair of shoes, you get rid of those pair of shoes, Right? I don't need it piling up in my closet. If I get a new shirt, I, I take a shirt and I throw it away. And so over the course of time, you just start decluttering and throwing things away. And all of a sudden, I look out my garage and it is packed. Like it is full. Like anybody, anybody got some full stuff? Anybody already been to Goodwill, got rid of some stuff? Right? Anybody, Amazon sold some stuff, made some money. Be sure and give that to the church. Come on. Listen, just so much, like I, I was back looking at some stuff. I can remember my kids got their first uh, uh, gaming console. They, they're, they're the PlayStation variety. They got a PS, the PS2, I think was the first one that they got. I can remember thinking, how am I going to ever afford games for this thing? Like it was 30 and 40, then they went to 60 and 70. I went and I think I found 465 games back in there. It was just clutter. It was just everywhere. And so you get, and when you start decluttering, you just feel better. You just feel like you have more mental space to think. You feel like your life's more in order. And listen, more than decluttering our homes, there's some things that clutter up our minds that we need to get rid of, right? And there is one thing that clutters our mind more than anything. It's been called an epidemic by professionals. It has been called the number one health problem in America. Because of this, this one thing that's cluttering our minds, one million employees every single day miss work. And it is called worry. Anybody worry about anything? It, listen, this escapes nobody. Doesn't matter how old you are. If you're a student, you're worried about a test or you're worried about the right lunch period or you're worried about getting into college. And if you're a mom or a dad, you're worried about your kids. If you're a husband or a wife, you're worried about your spouse. Man, we are professionals at worry. And worry has this ability to creep into our lives little by little right? It's just, it creeps in just like clutter, one box at a time, one artifact at a time, one small task at a time, one thought of the future at a time. It consumes our thoughts, and what does it do? It kills our peace. That's what worry does. It is called the great assassin because it takes things from us that we need to leave behind. We need to be able to leave worry in 2019. What, what is it you're worried about? What are you worried about? Like, it could be that maybe you got a kid going to college this year, right? And you're, you're worried about them. Now, let me, let me differentiate between concern and worry. Now, concern is legitimate. It's based on facts. It's based on facts. It leads to action. It's solution-oriented. Now, worry, on the other hand, is usually based on fear, and it's full of assumption, and it's problem-oriented. So when you think about maybe your kids are going to go to college, there's some things that, that you're worried about for them, like, are they going to wash their clothes? That's number one. Do they even know how? Like, how are they going to make friends? Are they going to follow in the ways that we taught them? Are they going to be able to be successful? Are they, we worry about them going to college. Maybe you're a parent and you've got your first one going to kindergarten. Anybody got kindergartners starting this year? Handful of you. You worried about that? Like, if I, if I prepared them for kindergarten, as long as they know calculus, you're good, right? And so, made you worry. Like, right? I mean, 
There's just this, man, we have this worry. We worry about maybe you've got some job decision coming up this year, or maybe it's this account you're hoping to land, or maybe it's a job change, or maybe, maybe you're single and you're wanting to get married and you're worried about, man, where do I go and how do I look and what's going to make me appealing? And we have this worry that begins to overtake our mind. But what if, what if, what if, what if? And what if you could, what if you could keep worrying in 2019 and it didn't cloud your future? Let me tell you what it would do. It would make you healthier, right? You would feel better physically. Do you know how many physical problems, worry, it causes? Like that headache you have, worry, right? That headache you have, worry. That heart problem, it's not bacon, it's worry. <laughs> that, that neck pain, that stomach problem, this, listen, it's, it causes these physical problems with us. And also, we're not present at home. Like we're not present in our relationships. We're not fully able to engage in the life that God has created for us. Like what if you could kind of put worry behind you? And what if you could be fully present at peace, living the life that God had designed for you? That's what we want to talk about today. How do we keep worry dead? How do we kill it and leave it back in 2019? So hey, let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. If you have a Bible, love for you to grab that. Grab your phone. You can turn to it on an app um, that you might have. Luke chapter 10. I'm just going to kind of walk through a few of these, uh, this particular story about Jesus and some of his friends and, um, and man, just make a couple of points and then some application at the end. Um, but how, how can we, how can we get rid of worry? So we have clear minds, man, we have relational health and we have joy. We have joy. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, so Jesus is uh, with some of his people. So it says, as they went on their way. Now, now when Jesus was going somewhere, with, uh, he didn't go by himself. He didn't go with one or two people. He had a posse. He had an entourage, okay? And so Jesus would have probably all of his 12 disciples, if not most of them, if not all of them. There were other people that would kind of be hanging around, kind of going along with him. And so you know, there, could be, there would be dozens of people at a minimum going with him. So he enters a village and he, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So Martha was a good friend of Jesus. So whenever Jesus was going through, Martha's home was kind of like a home away from home. You know how maybe when you travel and you go back to the place where you grew up and you stay at your mom's or your dad's house, kind of a home away from home. Sometimes you say, I'm going home, even though you live here. And this was kind of Jesus' home away from home. Martha was a good friend. And in that culture, it was a hospitality culture. There's not an IHOP or Chick-fil-A or anything else on every corner, right? They have to, they have to prepare food for people. They have to figure out where they're going to sleep. And so everything was dependent on Martha's hospitality. So she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So just get this picture. So Jesus is in the house. There's dozens of people here. It's busy. It's loud. Mary is just sitting at his feet and they're having this conversation. Like, I wonder what that was. Like, I wonder what he was telling her. I have to think that he's saying, you know, you know, Mary, I was just over in Capernaum and there was this guy who was blind and he came to me for a sight. And you know what I did? I spit on the ground, made mud, put it on his eyes, and he could see. And Mary's like, you did what? You spit on the guy's eyes? Why'd you do that? Oh, it just seemed funny to me at the time, you know? And so Jesus is telling the story, and he says, you know, and then the guys were out in the boat, and the storm came, and you know how scared they are and feeble, and they got all uptight. So I just walked out on the water to them just to give them a start, and I scared them to death, you know? And I have to think that then he begins to just turn to some more personal conversation. Like, Mary, tell me how it's going. Like, how, how are you and Martha doing? What, what's the latest on your, on, on your job? Like, what is it that you're looking back on? And what's some areas of pain that maybe I could help? Can I tell you how much I love you and value you? And he just begins to pour life into Mary. Like, like it would be an amazing 
experience to just sit there and just have Jesus pour life. And so Mary's just sitting there listening to his teaching. But Martha, Martha was distracted with much serving. A little different picture, isn't it? So this is how I imagine Martha. Like, did anybody have a lot of people around your house, maybe at Christmas or New Year's, right? Here's what I've noticed about me. When I go to my mom's house, I did in this Christmas. I notice when I go to my mom's house, I'm 12 again, you know? I don't clean up anything. And so, and so now when my kids come home who are adults, they don't clean up anything. That's not true. I'm kidding. But, and so, but, but here, I can only imagine, Martha, it was like a scene from our holidays, and you got the microwave timer going off because the rice is ready, right? You got her in and out of that fridge, you know, pulling out dishes, looking for leftovers, right? You got her, you know, setting the table with dishes clanging. She's throwing some stuff in the sink. You got Peter trying to sneak a piece of turkey. And we know it was turkey, not ham, because he was Jewish, right? <laughs> and so she, we, and Martha is busy and distracted with all that's going on while Mary's just sitting there. And watch, watch what Martha says. She went up to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Doesn't that feel childish? Like, listen, I'm doing all the work. She's doing nothing. It's like when you tell your kids to clean up the mess, and they're like, but they're still a mess. I cleaned up my part of the mess. I did my part. That's what Martha seems to be saying. I'm having to do all the work. Now, I would have been sarcastic. Jesus was a little more compassionate. He says this, the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious about and troubled about many things, many things. How many things are you worried about? How many to-dos? How many appointments? How many concerns? How many things? Man, we are a culture of many things. We have many things to deal with. We have many decisions to make. We suffer from decision fatigue because we have so many decisions to make. Many things. Is, you're troubled with many things, but one thing is necessary. Like, wouldn't you love to trade the many things for the one thing? Many things for one thing? And he goes on to say, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So you have this picture of someone who's living fully at peace and content and satisfied. And then you have someone who's busy and moving and distracted. Listen, we know how dangerous distractions can be. That's why we don't text and drive, do we? Do we? And we, it's why we don't walk down the sidewalk looking at our phone. And we know how dangerous distractions can be. Man, the reality is distractions, man, they... they, they they just deliver a worried heart. Man, a, dis a distracted life, it just delivers a worried heart. When you have so many things going on in your life, that is why you're so worried. And what, what exactly is worry, according to Jesus' definition? He, he uses two different words in here. The first one he uses is anxious. The word anxious. Now, anxious literally means divided mind. Okay? It means your mind is in more than one place. Okay? Have you, ever, have you ever had this experience? You're in a conversation with somebody. They're talking, and you're thinking about something else. And then they ask you a question. You can do one of two things. You can, you can be honest and say, I wasn't listening. Or you can just shake your head like that. Say, that's what I thought. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? We're in different places. Have you ever been to a restaurant, walked by, and you saw a family sitting at a table, and they're all looking at their phone? Right? Two, divided. Divided mind. Divided thinking. Divided attention. This is what Jesus is getting at here. Number one, man, your mind is divided. 
Your mind is divided. He uses the word trouble as well. The word trouble literally means a loud voice in your head. You got any loud voices in your head? Loud voices in your head. Man, man loudness is distracting, isn't it? It causes worry. Like we'll be, we can be at my house, and uh, this happened to me over the break. Though we were there, and you know my kids were in, so we were, you know, it was just, it was rowdy. It was fun. Like we like it that way. And so there was a sporting event on. It was a football game, which has got to always be the most important thing in our house, unfortunately. And so a friend of mine comes over, and we're having a talk, and he's, and I'm, we're talking, and all of a sudden I realize I can't. I, something's, I'm, I'm getting irritated and angry, and I realize it's because the TV is so loud. You ever have this happen? It's like turn that down. They're like, but dad, it's the game. I'm like, bro, I prayed the bills around here. Turn that thing down, right? We have this, and we have so much loudness in our lives. You know, for many of us, the loudest thing is that red dot that says we've got a notification on our email or our text. You get those red dots, they drive our lives. You know where else you see a red dot? An assassin's rifle, which is exactly what a red dot does. It just takes our attention because like, who's there and how do I respond and what do I do and do I pay attention to that? Man, we have, we have news cycles and ESPN and just, we have so many things that cause us to be worried. Do you know that right now I, I can make you more worried than you are? Watch. I'm gonna look up some news for you. Okay, looks like Iraq's going to expel some U.S. troops. Guess what happens? Nobody knows, but we should be worried about that, right? Man, there's a, man, it looks like the, something happened in Iran and we killed a general. So you know what that means, right? We killed a general, so Iran's going to attack us. Then the stock market's going down. Then you reti- you're going to lose your retirement. Then you can't retire when you want to. And your house is going to be gone, so you're going to be homeless, all because of what happened in the military. Um, let's just see. There's been a cyber attack on the Austrian government, and I've got a lot of investments in Austria, don't you? <laughs> uh, looks like they've redeveloped anthrax, and it's going around in the mail, the postal service, and it's finding its way into neighborhoods and common, wow, and common cities all across the United States. I actually made that one up, but you got worried. <laughs> Listen, there's a lot to be worried about. There's a lot for us to think about, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't be worried about it. Man, Jesus says, don't be anxious and troubled about all these things, right? You need to put these things, need to put these things to, to death. Now, now, if you think about Martha, if you pictured her in your mind, do you think she was moving slow or in a hurry? I, I get the picture of Martha in a hurry. She's frazzled. Her hair is on fire, isn't it? But not Mary. I've never met anybody who knows the story that says, I want to be Martha. Everybody says, I want to be Mary. Calm, cool, and collected, always centered, always fully present, always able to make the right decision, always looking like I got it all put together. But if we're, if, if we, if we're real, we are Martha, every single one of us. And we live in a Martha world. We live in a world that values and champions Martha's busyness and her hurriedness. And we wear busyness like a badge. Nobody, if you ask them, hey, what are you up to? Nothing. Nobody does that. What are you up to? I am. I'm busy. Man, it's a badge that we wear. I am busy. And here, if I were to ask you what speed your life is, I I think there's one word that would characterize most of us. We live at the speed of blur. Blur. You feel like your life's a blur? Just think back to Christmas. The blur of Christmas. 
I tried to think back to the blur of Christmas, but I couldn't remember because it was a blur. Man, on the Wednesday before Christmas Eve, what happens? Like we're, we actually have services coming up and we got a plan for them. We do work more than one day a week. And then nobody got that joke. Third, nobody thought it was true. Thursday, Thursday, uh, my son had some like bone graft to fix a tooth thing. And my wife conveniently went to Florida to, to be with our daughter. So I was left with that. And then Friday, my son and his wife come into town and on their way through Saturday, I'm getting ready for Sunday. Sunday, I preach and we do church. And then everybody comes back home on Monday. You know, we get ready for Christmas Eve and then Tuesday, something happened. I can't really remember. Um, just a blur, but more than just the holidays being a blur, man, life can be a blur, can it? Life can be a blur. I think back to Stone Creek, and Stone Creek, and some of you were here for this. 20 years ago in February, February 6th of, 20, of, of 2000, we started. We launched. And it has been a blur. There's been so much that happened, so much that's gone, man, so many lives changed. Some of it just becomes a blur. Like some of you, maybe you have older kids now. You remember when your kids were younger and someone would say, hey, you better cherish these days. It's going to go by in such a hurry. Like, well, what do you want me to do about it? Like, I, you know. Some days you're glad, right? I mean, y'all are getting, you're getting there. Listen, days are, sl- days are long, aren't they? But years are short. Days are long, but years are short. And we live in this blur and we live at the speed of blur and it is robbing us of God's best. Hey, don't buy into the culture that says you have to live at the speed of blur. And I, I love the times that we get to do things and the opportunities that we have through technology and transportation, and all that. But if you don't take some intentional time to slow down and say no to the busyness of your life, it is a recipe for worry. Listen, hurry drives worry. Hurry is in the driver's seat, and all it's driving you to is worry. I mean, there's another thing that contributes to worry that we see in this story, and it's control. It's our, it's our desire to control things. Like, like it, it, Martha, Martha comes to Jesus and says, do that, tell her to help me. Martha, Martha is telling God what to do. You ever do that? Man, when we, take, when we try to take control of, our, of things that we are not supposed to take control of, guess what? You're telling God what to do. This is what we do. Man, this is our specialty. It's our forte. We love to be in control. Let's be honest. Let's have a moment of confession and vulnerability. How many control freaks in the room? You're like, you get paid to be in control, don't you? Listen, for right now, from some of you from your phone, you can set your thermostat. You can turn your lights on. You have that new Tesla. It can meet you out front just by pushing a button. Listen. We feel like we have some control, but the reality is it's just an illusion. And what it is, what it is, is we're just being a backseat driver. Have you ever been, have you ever had someone who's a backseat driver for you? Like this, I've never done this, but uh, just kidding. So I'm, I'm driving with one of my sons. And I, I, really, I literally try not to ever say anything to them about their driving, ever. And so we're driving and he's a good driver and I'm driving with him. And so I'm, try, I'm telling him a couple things about where to turn and, oh, you seem a little, you know, some, some little, just some improvements that he could make, some new things I've learned. And you know what he says? He says something that I've said to my wife before. Hey, you want me to pull over and you drive? I think I said that in the middle of 285 one day, right? And this is what God does. You want to be in control? Have at it, sport. 
Knock yourself out. And what happens is we end up, we end up hurting ourselves, don't we? Just like what? It's similar to this video. Let's take a look. You ever done that? Figuratively, of course, because you took control of something that you should let God have control of and it ended up costing you and ended up hurting us. Listen, worry, worry is not believing that God will get it right. That's what worry is. Worry is not believing that God will get it right. And we have to acknowledge, man, that God's going to get it right even when we can't see exactly how it's going to work out. And what ends up happening is we end up making a statement to the world through our worry about the God that we serve, that, that, that he is not big enough, that sometimes he needs my help, that when, I, when things don't make sense, that I've got I've to step in and take control. And listen, I can only relate that to me being a dad. Think about how many dads in the house? Come on, right, raise your hand. So as a dad, here's the thing. You want, when your kids get older, no matter what happens, you want them to call you. You want them to call you for advice. You want them to call you to celebrate. You want them to call you even when all you can do is tell them how to find the solution. And this is the God that we serve. And when we worry, what we're doing is telling the world and telling God, listen, I don't think you're going to get it right. I don't think you're going to make it. Listen, we worry. We worry about things. And we try to take control of them when God says, listen, I got this. And this is exactly what Martha did. And this is exactly, man, it's exactly what we do. You know that there's two things that generally happen when you worry. Number one, it, it doesn't happen. Do you know this? 92% of things that we worry about do not happen. They don't happen. How, how many times have you gone to the doctor or somewhere and they said a, made an offhanded comment to you and you ran it to your, to your, you ran it to your funeral all of a sudden, <laughs> Right? I was in, working on my master's degree. I, come in, I kept getting this infection and I go to the doctor. I went a couple times and, and the, the nurse comes in and is just puzzled and confused and says to me, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, it seems like maybe it's some autoimmune thing. Probably it's either AIDS or leukemia. What? I feel like, I feel like, I feel like, uh, I don't feel like it's that serious, right? But in that moment, like I'm, I'm trying to figure out how my five-year-old's going to make it without me. Like most of the time, it doesn't happen. The things that you're worried about right now, think about the ones that you worried about didn't happen. You know what else? You can't change it. There's some things you're worried about you cannot change. I cannot change. You know, there were some things that happened last year maybe to you that were difficult, man, that were real, that were painful. And there's, it, it wouldn't have mattered if you'd known about it. There's nothing you could have done to change it. And we spend our time and waste our effort and we're not present. I, I just look back at all the times that I worried when I wasn't there for my kids because I was in the room, but I wasn't in the room. I look back at all the times where I could have been more productive at work, but my mind was somewhere else because I was worried. Listen, we worry about things that we shouldn't be worried about. Hey, and parents, parents, you're worried about some things you shouldn't be worried about. Like I think about uh, the things I worried about for my kids. And listen, now they're grown. I worry about some different things for them and try to help them. But man, I think about things I worried about and they do not matter. Guess what? Some of them made the basketball team and some of them didn't. And all of them are fine. Some of them are married. Some are not yet, but will. Like they are great. Some have college degrees. Some don't. Guess what? Fine. And so we need to know that those are God's kids, not ours. Listen, when we worry, what we're telling God is you don't know enough and you're not going to get it right. 
And so we're telling God, man, we're just a backseat driver. And God says, hey, I'll let you have it. And we end up hitting ourselves in the head too many times. Now, let's look in verse 40, what happens and where worry drives Martha. Martha was distracted and she went up and said to him, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Now, this is what worry will do. It isolates you. You know why? Because you're the solution to your problem. And you're the problem. You're both. And we feel alone and isolated. And listen, God is is aware of every situation. God is aware of every story. And God wants to be present. Listen, God hasn't left you. And nothing that's happened in our lives is taken him by surprise. Listen, God knows. And we are not alone. He's an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Man, he, he came to be God in the flesh so that he could give us power and so that he could give us direction and he can give us strength and we don't feel like we can go on. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Like this is the God that we serve. Listen, you may be here today drowning in worry, feeling like you can't catch your breath. You are not alone. You're not alone. God is coming for you. God's coming for you. And then verse 41 He says, Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away. Now, now I love this idea of good portion because here's the the imagery you have of this particular phrase. It's like there's a a pie of different pieces and you got the best, right? Like how many of you, you ever had the cinnamon rolls? You know, the ones I'm talking about, they come in the tube, you put them in the little circular baking sheet. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Which one's the best one? The one right in the middle. Every time, not on the edge, getting all hard and crusty, right in the middle. It's the best one. There's always the best portion. And you go to a barbecue place and get brisket, burn ins, always the best, always the best. Filet mignon, always the best. Like there's, he says, you get the, you get the good portion. You get the best when you focus on that one thing. Listen, when you can get your mind trained on the one thing, Everything else will happen for you. Everything else will move in the right direction. Listen, what if we could be so focused? What if we could be so focused on the one thing that delivered the best thing? What if we could be so focused on the one thing that could deliver the best thing? You know, what Jesus is getting here is a principle that a lot of us know already. Um, Maybe you've heard of the Pareto principle, that 20% of our effort drives 80% of our production. Happens in business, it happens personally. It's called the law of the vital few. There's really just a few things that matter. There's really just a few things that if you can get those right, everything else will fall into place. And so Jesus wants to give us the solution, man, compassionately and caringly. And it's not just, don't worry, be happy. Like, that's not gonna cut it. Like, it's not that easy. There's not five steps to stop worrying as much as I would love for there to be. Jesus tells us, man, there's one thing. And that's what Mary chose. Mary chose the one thing. Worry is not helping. Now, now if I were honest, as I've said, worry has been something I've struggled with a lot over the course of my life. When my wife and I first got married, I can remember buying our first house and feeling like I just ruined our financial future. You know, I can remember we'd have this conversation that, that I was a designated worrier. She didn't have to worry because she knew I had it covered for both of us. And, and there came a point in my life where I'm like, this is, this is killing me. Man, this is robbing my relationships. I'm not, I'm not available. I'm always preoccupied with what's next. My mind's running ahead and I'm in a different place even when I should be 
somewhere. So what I did was I, feel, I, say, I, I like to say I was saved by the note card. So what I would do is I would take a simple index card and I'd, I'd write it down, whatever it is I was worried about. I'd just write it down. Then I would take it and I would put it in an envelope and I would put it in a drawer and I would say, God, that belongs to you. Like, that's not mine. I can't fix it. I can't control it. It's, it's killing me. I, I need you to take this from me. And while it is a kind of, it's just a tangible step that I could take just to get rid of that and just to place it away from me. And every time I would say, God, and when I go to open that drawer back up, close it for me. Don't, don't let me pick this back up again. And for me, mentally and emotionally, it just helped me begin to move past some of the things I was worried about that really I shouldn't have been worried about. You know, I, well, what's, what's ironic about this is we see a perfect picture of what it means of how not to worry and what Jesus tells us to do. And we see Mary just sitting at Jesus' feet. Like that, that's the key to this. And I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what Martha did after Jesus pointed out what Mary was doing. You know, Jesus said, she's chosen the best thing. I wonder what Martha did I wonder if she realized, you know, peanut butter and jelly would be fine. I don't, have to, I don't have to fret and scramble and hurry and frantic around. I wonder what she did. Here's what we can do. Man, what it looks like, what it looks like on a tangible, practical basis every day for us to sit at Jesus' feet, to soak in his teaching, to understand what he says about us, to remind us of his goodness, to remind us that he's come for us, that he's here with us and present. Man, it's just to take that first part of the day, the best part of the day, before any other noise comes in, before I look at CNN or Fox or BBC, before I look at Insta or Facebook or any other social media, before I look at the weather, the first thing I do is I sit down with God's word and I read about what God says and I read the stories of his faithfulness and the statements he makes about his goodness towards me and what he wants for my life. And that's what it means. That's how I start my day. Like what if you could start every day that way? simply sitting at Jesus' feet. And then throughout the day, as that worry comes in and you realize you're worried, like, God, that's not mine, that's yours. And you were able to judge every thought, like, should I do something about this or is this just an empty worry? And you just begin to live life with this habit, this pattern of letting worry die and putting it behind you. The lesson of the story is really simple. We get to choose. We get to choose. Let's pray. Man, with our, just our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I know for some people, man, you have never chosen to follow Jesus, right? That's it's been something you've kind of played with, toyed with, thought about, but you've never said, okay, I'm putting a stake in the ground. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. I'm going to sit at his feet. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to listen to who he says I am. I'm going to believe that he's good. I'm going to believe that he's going to get it right. And maybe that's the step for you today is that you need to just choose Jesus for, for 2020. Like if you, want, if you want 2020 to be different, you're going to have to do more than just be more efficient. You have to do better than just some time management techniques. Listen, you're going to have to choose to live differently and to see the world differently. And maybe that's you today. And if that's you today, I just want to lead you in a prayer. And that prayer will be how you choose. It will be your choice to follow him. So I'll lead you and you can just say these words after me in your own heart. Dear God, I ask you to forgive me for controlling my own life. 
I give you control today. I trust that Jesus is good and he died for my forgiveness. And I ask you to give me a new life. You know, as, as we, again, just our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you, if you prayed that, then the Bible says that you've got a new life. The Bible says that you are a new creation. Old things have gone. That God has taken up residence in your life. That he wants to take your worries and your anxiety and your stress and your frustrations and everything that's holding you back and keeping you in the past. He wants to take it all. And, and what I want to encourage you to do is I'm going to do something just briefly, super s- simple, just to help you make a stake in the ground to mark the moment. I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, if you prayed that today, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand in the air. Man, nobody's looking. It's just me, you, and God that are paying attention. And it's just a way for you to make that claim. It's a way for you to do something tangible that's not just some empty words that you said, but to do something physical that will make it matter. So on the count of three, if you prayed that, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in the air. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. All over the room. Yeah, thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, Lord, I'm just overwhelmed by how you're changing people here. Thank you for that. God, we, uh, we worry about a lot. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Some of you are worried about some stuff right now. I just want you to put a firm image of that in your mind. Maybe it's a picture, maybe it's a word, man, maybe it's uh, some drawing, whatever it is. I just want you to put that firm image of whatever it is you're worried about. You know, for some of you, it may be a long list of things. Just put that list in your mind and just simply where you are, I wanna pray for you. And uh, I'm just gonna ask you, if you wanna kind of just make another tangible step, just take your hands and lay them in your lap and just open them up. You know, just open them up and just say, God, you can take it. Because God can't fill them up with peace and joy if they're full of worry and anxiety. So God, we know that worry will hold us back, that we, have so, we are so busy. We have so much coming at us, so much information, so much um, news, so much uh, just curveballs that get thrown, tragedies that happen. God, bad decisions that we make, sin that happens, Lord, and we, we hold on to it and we worry. And it, doesn't, it just keeps us from moving into the future that you have for us, to be whole, to be peaceful and to be productive, to have influence. And so God, we just want to leave that behind. And God, we know that this is daily. We have to put it down daily. We have to daily sit at your feet. We have to daily confess our sin. We have to daily acknowledge what we're worried about, God. If you would just help us to do that, we can't do it on our own. We've tried. Lord, I'm just grateful that you are a good God who steps into our lives to give us the life that we all truly want, one where we can just sit at your feet. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.